I'm Hillary Hendershot, your host, and this is Profit Boss Radio, The Retirement Years, Episode 149. The Retirement Years on Profit Boss Radio is your weekly wealth building and retirement mastermind. Profit Boss is also a movement for women who want to reach their full wealth potential and be financially free. Let me be your guide as you defy the odds, take control of your money, grow your wealth, and retire well. Do you want the secrets of wealth and retirement to be yours? This is the place. I'm Hillary Hendershot. I'm a certified financial planner running a leading advisory firm for women and couples, and I'm sharing with you real stories from real life and real people who are making it happen. Forget Wall Street. You ready? Let's do this. Welcome to eight investment mistakes that can derail retirement. Yes, that's right. Making investment mistakes can absolutely cost you your financial freedom. And if you're not an investing pro or really interested in investing, I get it. This can be kind of like grating your hand on a cheese grater or something. Like it's a very, it's kind of a boring conversation if you're not into it. I get it. But most of you are doing it. I assume you're saving money and assuming it's not sitting in a checking account, which would be sad. You have got some investments in your 401k. You've probably got some investments in an account somewhere that's not with your employer and you're sort of collecting them over time. You've been collecting mutual funds, ETFs, and maybe even stocks. Maybe you've inherited some and you've got this collection. It's been going on for a long time. You're not really sure the whole of it, what it means or how to evaluate it. And you know, if you're like me, like I've said before, sometimes I notice that I change lanes on the freeway without really looking. I'm just hoping that it's gonna work out. So maybe you have that gene too. It's been working okay so far, especially since 2009. Pretty much everything has been going up. I mean, after all, we're in a 10-year bull market and a rising tide lifts all boats. But, and I'm gonna quote Warren Buffett a few times in this episode, Only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked. So my intention in today's episode is to make you aware of some of the mistakes that we know investors make quite often. And, you know, I can kind of confirm that I do see these these mistakes being made. I get to see a lot of people's portfolios. A portfolio is just the collection of investments that you've amassed over time. And I can confirm that these mistakes are definitely, you know, happening, common. Okay. Mistake number one, you're an emotional investor. Now there's, and I kind of think about three subcategories to this and they're not necessarily related. So there's different ways that you can make mistakes as a person who uses emotions as their rudder when it comes to investing. First, you could be someone who listens to the news and you're worried about a recession and you're thinking about, quote unquote, taking your money off the table. Okay, I hear that phrase a lot. Uh, You may have heard that the yield curve is inverted. If you've heard that, it's something that you read in the financial news media or saw a journalist talking about. And it was like, 
uh, oh, this is something I need to be worried about. And they said, you know, often a recession follows the inversion of the yield curve. If you don't know or haven't heard about the yield curve being inverted, don't worry about it. It's beyond the scope of this episode but that might be something you're worried about. I mean, again, we're in the longest running bull market of all time. I hear people saying all the time, it can't go up forever, except you know what? They started saying that five years ago. (laughs) Other seemingly wise, sophisticated statements I hear, they say, I'm thinking about going ahead and pulling some money off the table. It sounds really smart, but this is just one indicator that I hear that lets me know that someone is an emotional investor. Second subcategory of being an emotional investor, you're overconfident because your portfolio has been going up for 10 years. So now obviously in the first example, I said you're worried about a recession, you're thinking about selling to cash, and now I'm saying you might be overconfident that you're, because your portfolio has been going up for 10 years. So yes, this is different than the example before, but I see it almost as commonly. Again, everything's been going up for 10 years. I don't know how to say this gently. Don't start thinking you know something. If you've been doing a good job, it's just because the entire market has been going up. The third subcategory of indicators that you might be an emotional investor is you think the guys at your family reunion have one up on you. Now, I meant that as just an indicator, but it could be the cocktail party. It could be the guys at the train station whose conversation you overhear. It is an emotional response. People like to talk about their investments, especially their winners, but they almost never, ever, ever report fairly, and they almost never talk about their losers. So if you think other people have got one up on you, you might get FOMO, fear of missing out inappropriately, and chances are you'll make some expensive mistakes. So you get your medications from the pharmacist, get your investments from the professionals. Okay, mistake number two, your name brand mutual funds cost too much. Name brand mutual funds are built by Wall Street firms. They have names like the Fidelity Contra Fund or anything that starts with American funds or Dodge and Cox. They sell them, I and mean, there's lots more, okay? Those are just examples. They sell them with the Nordstrom promise, high costs, but they promise high returns, right? Unfortunately, sad few deliver on this promise. So how do we know if a mutual fund has high returns? We compare mutual fund performance to the benchmark fund in that category. For example, if you wanna know how your sixth grader's reading skills compare to other sixth graders, you would compare her test scores to the average sixth grade reading test score, okay? So just like we can average test scores, we can also average company stock performance. And if you and I run similar size companies doing similar things in a similar geography, like, and I just pulled this out of my hat, like McDonald's and Burger King, we could check to see who's doing a better job of running their company by comparing our returns, right? That makes sense to you. And when we put all the companies that are similar together, we call that the asset class. And when we average their returns, we call that the benchmark. So that's the average. To beat the benchmark, your brand name mutual fund has to perform better than the benchmark. Seems straightforward so far. Not only that, but in order to report a real rate of return, they have to beat the benchmark after fees, taxes, trading costs, and etc. Professor Ken French of Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business estimates that investors collectively spend 102 
billion dollars per year trying to achieve above market or above benchmark rates of return. But it's not the mutual fund companies who absorb that cost, right? It's you, the investor. They take these costs right out of your account. And as a result, brand name mutual fund managers have a terrible track record of beating their benchmark. Welcome to this week's Money Wise segment designed to help you thrive through your entire financial life, of which of course means your life, and also be smarter than your neighbor. Today we are talking about reverse mortgages. And the reason I think it's important to cover this topic is because reverse mortgages got themselves a really bad reputation in the past. They were expensive and people think that if you get a reverse mortgage, the government owns your house and you're, you have to, you're kicked out and there, I, people sort of reject this tool, which can be really kind of life-saving, well, financial life-saving for a lot of people, uh, people reject it out of hand. So again, you know, I don't sell long, or I don't sell reverse mortgages. I have no dog in this race. I simply want you to have this knowledge or tuck it away for later, either for yourself or potentially for your parents or someone that you love. Actually, reverse mortgages are far more reputable, far more uh, consistent in terms of their cost and what you can expect. Like I said, they can provide a ton of value for people if you need cash. So let's talk about the FHA insured home equity conversion mortgage. Some folks call it the HECM. That's home equity conversion mortgage, H-E-C-M, HECM. Let's talk about that loan. This allows homeowners age 62 or older to convert some of the equity they've built up in their homes into funds they can use. So you can, for example, create a line of credit. So, you know, let's say you have a $500,000 house and you get a $200,000 reverse mortgage. Well, now you've essentially accessed $200,000 of that equity. You can get it delivered to you in consistent checks or in a lump sum. And what happens is they actually finance the mortgage sort of invisibly. Yes, you're paying interest on it, but the home is going to pay that interest eventually. When you permanently vacate the home is when the lender is going to come calling. Of course, you took a loan. You have to pay it back. Your heirs or your children can pay it back. Or if you're recommending this to your parents, you know, you and your siblings can pay the loan off if you want to collect your pool, your funds and pay off the lender which is the government, you can certainly keep your family home. Or if you can't or don't want to, then the the government simply is able to sell the home and pay off the mortgage. So yes, they're a little bit more expensive than a traditional mortgage. Traditional mortgage, in my experience, costs about one percentage point of the loan balance. So if you have a half million dollar mortgage, you pay $5,000 for the mortgage. And in this case, you're probably going to pay about $20,000 for the reverse mortgage. But if you are in a position where you are house rich and money poor, this can mean the difference between you being able to have freedom, flexibility, dignity, and choice or not. So I have recommended 
reverse mortgages in very rare cases, but I wanted you to know about them. I want you to know that it's a tool I definitely consider and approve of. And like I said, if you're in that position where you don't have cash, then you need to consider accessing it in any way that you can. And a reverse mortgage could be that way. One other consideration is that long-term care insurance is financially out of reach for most people at this point. It's extremely expensive. That this can be a way if you put a home equity conversion mortgage in place on your property can be a way for you to pay for long-term care should you be hospitalized or need that kind of cash. There you go. That's today's Money Wise segment. Mistake number three, your brand name mutual funds have low returns. That's right. Not only do they have high costs, they have low returns. So all the data we have says that no matter how much they get paid, Wall Street mutual fund managers will underperform their benchmarks over the long periods. One study I'm looking at right here in front of me, 87% of small cap managers underperform the S&P small cap index. That's the S&P 600 over just five years. 63% of international managers underperform the S&P 700 over that same five-year period, and the numbers just get worse from there. In a 2008 research study, professors Barras, Scalé, and Wormers analyzed 32 years of investment performance from 1975 to 2006. They concluded that, this is kind of funny, after expenses, only 0.6% or one out of 160 active mutual fund managers outperform the market because of that manager's skill. They also noted that they cannot eliminate the possibility that the few funds that did outperform were merely false positives. So when we meet with prospective clients to see if we're a good fit to work together, we take a look at their current holdings. So I have literally seen probably a thousand or more nest egg investment portfolios. I know what's happening out there and it's very rare that I don't see one of these brand name mutual funds that I'm talking about, which are fundamentally charging people a high price for a service they never provide. Mistake number four, you own individual stocks. I recently described owning individual stocks as an opportunity to shoot the moon. Obviously, if you buy at a dollar and sell at 2000, hey, you're in the money. You won the lottery, right? And it's tempting when buying stocks to only imagine the possibilities. And yes, some will win the lottery doing it, but it's by luck and not skill. And unfortunately, the data also tells us that those that win almost never take their money off the table, so they end up losing it in bad investments later. So I'll quote Buffett again here when I say, okay, and this is a little harsh, but you got to take it for what it is. Buffett says, there's a loser on one side of every trade. If you don't know who that loser is, it's probably you. Stock picking is really serious business, and there are people who dedicate their entire lives to analyzing micro industries. It's really just fruitless to think that you can do better by guessing, as even as educated as you think it is, because the only information you have access to is that which everyone else has access to. So everyone already knows it. One fact I find fascinating is that when we slice the data, only a few stocks really have long-term strong returns. For example, at the University of Chicago, they look at all stock trades back to 1926. It's called the CRISP database, and it has nothing to do with gene editing for those of you like me who are following the biohackers. What the folks at University of Chicago found is that for the 88-year period from 1926 through 2014, only 25% of stocks were responsible for market gains. 
All stocks offered a 7.5% return for that period, but if if you take out the top 10% of performers, all stocks only offered a 3.2% return. If you exclude the top 25% of performers each year, the return from stocks was negative 6%. You would lose all your money pretty quickly that way. While buying individual companies might offer a siren song of promise, the reality of it is that you're probably going to lose. I often say some of the smartest minds in the world are hard at work on the investing question. Don't try to beat them. Instead, hire them. Mistake number five, you sell to cash or take your money off the table and you lose money. So I hear a lot about this, especially right now. I mean, probably once a day, someone asks me, well, shouldn't I just sell out and sit on the sidelines? Because we're obviously going to have a recession soon. I mean, the bull market has been 10 years. It can't keep going up. But unfortunately, going to cash can result in you missing some of the highest returning days in the market. So for example, if you had invested $100,000 in 1920, it would be worth $8.845 million 94 years later. That's a long time. But again, we turn $100,000 into $8.845 million. But just missing five of the best days would have cut your returns by over $3 million. That's 30%. So no one knows when those best days will happen. They often happen in the wake of some of the lowest performing days, yet some people prefer to try and ride out a bear market by pulling out or staying uninvested on the sidelines. Even if you had just missed the one single best day in that period of time I just mentioned, you'd have cost yourself more than $900,000. Mistake number six, you're impatient. It's important to play the long game and be patient. Realize that you may have to remain patient through years of what might seem like mediocre returns, and people find that really boring, and I get it. It may surprise you to hear that most investors don't even achieve the returns published by the mutual fund companies. So you know how every fund publishes its annual return? Many, many, many people who owned the mutual fund didn't actually get that return because they're impatient. Dalbart does quite a bit of investor research and they found that in the 20 year period ending December 31st, 2015, the S&P 500 index had averaged 9.85% per year, but the average stock fund investor had only achieved a return of 5.19%. That's over 4% because people are basically impatient. That's what we call the behavior gap. When you invest based on your emotions, it does not lead to wise long-term decisions. We get emotional, we buy high, we sell low, and we cost ourselves tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or more in returns because we're biased. We don't see things clearly, and we think that we should not have to watch things happen in our investment accounts that make us uncomfortable but the stock market really doesn't care about your feelings. Patience is a virtue, profit boss. Mistake seven, you're not diversified enough. As the saying goes, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Combining investments that are not like each other can reduce the ups and downs in your portfolio, which is a very good thing long-term. But just owning 10 different mutual funds or index funds doesn't mean you're effectively diversified. 
Most mutual funds have similar holdings or follow similar investment styles. I just recently did a portfolio analysis for a couple who discovered that they had 30% of their nest egg in just 10 stocks. In some cases, they were paying 20 or more mutual fund managers to hold the same stock. That is not good diversification. In fact, because our research shows that value stocks and small stocks outperform over time, we consider those two types of stocks to be critical to good diversification. Lots of people who come talk to me are surprised to discover that while the S&P 500 had a near 10% return over the last 90 years, small stocks offered a return over that same time period that would have multiplied that investment by 40x. Pretty incredible, huh? Okay, mistake number eight, you don't have a plan. As the saying goes, failing to plan is planning to fail. So if you don't know where you're going or how you plan to get there, how are you ever gonna achieve your goal? And just to be clear about this, when you retire or stop working, your number one goal is that your money outlives you. What is your plan to get there? Here are just some of the things I consider critical to a financial plan. Uh, documenting your goals, and you do have to be specific, time, date, dollar amount, considering your timeline and risk tolerance, making sure you have sufficient insurance, considering whether you want to pay for the kids to go to school and how you're going to do that, not only making sure that you've done your estate planning, but making sure that it's properly executed. There's nothing worse than paying $5,000 for a set of documents that have no teeth, but you'd be shocked how often I see that. You need a tax policy and access to tax strategy, maybe not for your IRAs, but if you've got significant wealth in after-tax or brokerage accounts, it's critical. Plus, maybe you want to consider Roth conversions. Um, Capital gains taxes are pretty high these days, and we need to plan to avoid giving half of our wealth to Uncle Sam. That's important, don't you think? I think most importantly, you need a timeless and evergreen investment philosophy, and obviously, that is what we do for our clients. So if anything I've said today has left you wondering if you do in fact have a properly built investment portfolio, I would love to talk. The very next thing you'll hear in this episode is how to reach out and make an appointment with me. Have a great day, Profit Boss. Hey, Profit Boss. If after listening to today's episode, you think you might be ready to take meaningful actions with your wealth and perhaps consider working with me and my firm in some way, then I'd love to hear from you. Just go to hillaryhendershot.com forward slash hello. That's Hillary with one L and Hendershot with two T's dot com slash hello. When I'm not sitting behind the mic, I'm running Hendershot Wealth Management. We're a fee-only fiduciary financial advisory firm. We work with women and couples to take their finances to the next level. Everything I talk about here on the show gets personalized and put to work for my clients. So I ask you, why wait till tomorrow when you can start realizing your full wealth potential today? The life you want to live, it doesn't have to wait. Just imagine the freedom and joy you'll experience when you've secured your retirement and enjoyed the years leading up to it. That's what I want for you. That's what I do for my clients. And if that's what you want for yourself, just head on over to my website right now, hillaryhendershot.com slash hello. All of our initial conversations are totally complimentary. So let's just see where a friendly conversation may lead. hillaryhendershot.com slash hello.
As we wrap things up here for today, I need to review with you the things I have to disclose as a fiduciary financial advisor offering wealth management services through my firm, Hendershot Wealth Management, LLC. You should know that the opinions I express on Profit Boss Radio are my own and they can change. The content I provide in the show is for general education. It's not intended as specific investment advice, nor do I recommend any specific financial products. Unlike how I roll at home with my husband, I can't guarantee that my statements, opinions, or forecasts are always 100% right. Of course, I wish I could peek into that proverbial crystal ball, but so far, I haven't found it. Past performance is not indicative of future results. I talk a lot about indexes and I want you to know you can't actually buy an index because of course when you take a list of companies and create a product that allows people to invest in those companies, there are fees and expenses involved that reduce returns. Remember, all investing involves risk, which as you know, means you could lose your money. And I have to tell you that there is no guarantee that any investment plan or strategy will be successful. And that should keep my lawyers happy. Have a great day.